be helpful. Keep up. If you want to take notes, there are some pencils at the welcome desk. You're welcome to take if you want to. The most important things, we open up to Philippians 1. Thank you, David. That's better. Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to be looking particularly at verses 9 to 11 uh, this evening. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. We lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we uh, come to read your word now, as we come to think about it together, we pray that your Spirit, who gave us these words uh, through the Apostle Paul, uh, would be working in our hearts, teaching us how to pray, uh, teaching us how to think, uh, teaching us how to uh, be the kind of people that you want us to be. Uh, So please help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Last week we saw that we are partners together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we saw that gospel partners do is that we pray for each other. But how do you pray for each other as a gospel partner? How do you pray for Christian people whom you love? What do you, what do you pray for when you come to pray for your brothers and sisters? How do you pray for your cell group members? Those of you who are parents, how do you pray for your children? You pray for good health, good exam results. You pray for your friends, for yourself. Good job? Good spouse? What dominates your prayers? Now, we can, of course, pray for any of these things and all of these things. Now, we are told in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it's coming up on the screen, 1 Peter 5, verse 7, to cast all our anxiety on God because He cares for us. And later on in this very letter to the Philippians, Paul tells us, next slide, that we don't need to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, to present our request to God. We can pray about anything and everything. In fact, we're encouraged to. However, what we choose to pray about, in the end, reflects what's important to us. The things that we bring before God are the things that we think are significant. And I fear that all too often, we major on the minors. We pray for things that we worry about the most, but we fail to pray for the things that are the most important, that really should concern us the most. We need to change our priorities and therefore change our prayers. Now, the Apostle Paul gives us a great example of godly praying. He does it in many of his letters, including this one to the Philippians. He tells the people that he's praying for, that he's praying for them. He tells them what he's praying for them as well. And by doing that, he shows them, and God shows us, what is really important. He gives us a model as to how to pray for each other and for those with whom we are in partnership. And Paul's prayer for the Philippians is found in verses 9 to 11 of Philippians chapter 1. Verse 9 to 11 of Philippians chapter 1. 
And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now, it's a very long sentence, isn't it? Right? It looks long and complicated, but actually, when you look at it really carefully, Paul's actually only asking for one thing. The first thing we learn as we seek to follow his examples, what is that one thing that he's asking for? It is actually smarter and smarter love. Right? Beginning in verse 9, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment. Okay, the, in the original, there's no commas and all that, right? So it's actually it's more and more, abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Now, back in uh, 2004, scientists at University College in London discovered that the feelings of love suppressed brain activity in the parts of the brain controlling critical thought. Are you surprised by that? Now, it seems once we get close to a person, we are less able to assess their character and their personality. And researchers found that both romantic love and maternal love, mother's love, right, has the same effect on the brain. Right, so it seems at least there may be some degree of truth in the saying that love is blind. But that's not the kind of love that uh, Paul is talking about here. Paul prays that the love of the Philippians would abound more and more in knowledge and discernment. Right? That they would have smarter and smarter love. You see, Paul knew that the Philippians love God and love each other. That is the basic Christian quality. That is given. If you don't love God, if you don't love your brothers and sisters, then you're not a Christian. When you think about praying for people, if you're praying for someone who, who doesn't love God and doesn't love other people, pray for their conversion. Pray that they will come to understand the love that God has shown us in the death of Christ and experience it for themselves so they will extend it to others. When Paul prayed for the Philippians, he already knew that they loved because he knew that God had begun a good work in them that he would bring to completion. Philippians loved Paul showed that love by the way they were involved in partnership with him. And Paul prayed that that love would grow, that it would abound, that it would overflow, that it would become richer and richer in knowledge and discernment. Okay, now he's not praying that they have more and more love. And that might be a good thing to pray for. Right, but that's not what he's praying for here. He's praying that the love that they have would grow richer and richer in knowledge and discernment. It's, it's like if you come to my house and I serve you tea. And you say to me, I would like my tea to abound more and more in sweetness. Right? What, is it? what do you mean? Let me add more sugar. Lah. Okay? Uh, you're not necessarily wanting more tea. You're wanting the tea to have more and more of this distinctive quality of sweetness. And Paul prays that the love of the Philippians would have more and more of the quality of knowledge and discernment. And he wants their love to be smarter and smarter love. Now, 
Let's think about those two things that he talks about. The knowledge and the discernment. The knowledge that he talks about here, it's not just any old knowledge, is it? I mean, it's not you know, praying that they'll know their coursework better so they can do better in their, in their maths exam or, you know, that they, their MBA would go better or understanding of molecular biology or marketing or auditing or whatever it is. No, he's praying that they will grow in their knowledge of God. Smarter as Father Love means knowing God better and better. That's the first thing, that knowledge side. You know? How do you get to know someone better? What would you do if you wanted to get to know someone better? Right, you might think, well, here's uh, Tim Phillips. He's come back from the UK. Uh, we want to get to know him better. So what do you do? Well, what you do is you go and spend time with him, wouldn't you? Go and talk to him. Asking questions about himself and listen to the answers. Listen to him speaking to you, telling you what he's like, what he's done in the past, what his plans are for the future. And as you listen to what he says, as you interact with him, then you get to know him. And friends, the first aspect to knowing God is listening to God. And God has revealed himself to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks to us through his word. And a vital part of Christian growth is growth in knowledge. As I read his word, or I listen to his word, in his presence, he speaks to me. And notice, I said we read his word, we listen to his word, in his presence. Because reading the Bible, or hearing the Bible, is not just like, getting a letter from someone far, far away, getting an email from someone on the other side of the world, getting a message for someone who died many years ago. No, no, no. It's more like reading it with the person in the very room, together. Uh, uh, But it's even more than that, because the Spirit who gave us the Scriptures, the Spirit whose Word this is, is even closer. He is in us. And because the Spirit is the Spirit of the Father and the Son, he makes, he makes Jesus and the Father close to us as well. And so the God that we read about in His Word is the God who speaks through His Word to us and the God who opens our eyes to, from the inside to understand. And as we see Him in Jesus, as we listen to Him in the Scriptures, we get to know Him. We find out what He's like. Find out what He's done to understand his plans and purposes. We grow in the knowledge of God. We get to know God. Now, of course, someone who does not love God can read the Bible and tell you all the facts in it without actually knowing God, can't they? That's because they don't have the Spirit. They can know the facts about God in a purely intellectual way, but has no impact on them spiritually. But knowing God means more than knowing facts, more than just listening to what the gospel says with our ears, it involves realizing on the inside. It's a spirit's work in our hearts. Realizing on the inside, believing it personally, appropriating it for ourselves. I'll tell you something by way of example. There is a bomb in this building. Now, do you know there is a bomb in this building? 
Can you say, I know there is a bomb in this building? Ah, at one level you can know that I said it, isn't it? You can say, like, I understand very clearly what Andrew says. He says there is a bomb that is an explosive device in this building. Furthermore, you might say, I understand the implications of what he is saying. I risk getting blown up. You understand the words, you understand the sentences, you understand the implications. You may even be able to turn to your neighbor and say, there is a bomb in this building. But you still can't say you know there is a bomb in this building. Why? Because you don't believe it, do you? Right? You can't truly know something, you can't say that you know something, unless you believe it. All you can say is, Andrew said this. But if you really had reliable information about a bomb, and you believed it, then you can say, you know there is a bomb here. See that? And it's like that with God. You can have ideas about God. You can hear ideas about God. You don't truly know God unless, one, He is really there and two, you actually believe what He tells you about Himself. And real knowledge includes faith. And true knowledge expresses itself in action. See, I know that you don't believe there is a. I know that you don't know there's a bomb here. You know why? Because if there was a bomb here, you would have gone by now, wouldn't you? you wouldn't be sitting here listening to me. Relevant knowledge expresses itself in action. And brothers and sisters, knowledge of God is knowledge that is relevant to all of us. Because He is the one who has made us. He is the one who rules us. He is the one who will one day judge us. And knowing Him, knowing who He is, knowing what He has done. Knowing what he's like is bound to have an impact on how we live. And so as we think about how we do discipleship here at Smang, we, we want to grow in our knowledge of God, we want to grow in our understanding of his word. When we think through new ways of doing intentional discipleship, one thing is indeed we are growing in knowledge of God. And it's more than just knowing information. It's listening to God speak and believing what he says. And that results, if it is real, in submission and love. Because real knowledge of God always makes a difference as the way we relate to him and the world around us. And as we know God better and better, we will love him in a deeper and deeper way. And therefore love each other in response to the love that we know and experience from God more and more. And Paul's prayer to the Philippians is that their love would abound more and more in this knowledge of God. They would know God better and better. And that would be characteristic of the way they love more and more. Now he said from uh, uh, verse 9 his prayer is that their love would abound more and more with on the one hand knowledge and the other hand was all discernment, right? The word translated all discernment. Now, uh, it's translated here all discernment. If you're using an NIV, it's depth of insight. Right? So as we were singing just now, the song, I think you used the NIV translation, so you've got depth of insight. Uh, it's a difficult word to translate. It's, this is the only place it's found in the New Testament. Uh, but there's lots of it used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was around at the time. Uh, and most of it was from the book of Proverbs. 
Because that word there that he's talking about, that's translated to sermon there, is all about practical understanding. It's about wisdom. And so we're told in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 10 to 11, uh, it says, Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge, that's the discernment word, rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. Okay? You see how else it is used in Proverbs 14? Proverbs 14, the mocker seeks wisdom and finds none but knowledge. That's the word for discernment that, we look, uh, that we're looking at. Comes easily to the discerning. Stay away from a foolish man and you will not find that word, knowledge, on his lips. Okay, so the knowledge that it's been talking about here or in the discernment and in Philippians right, is a kind of like how to live kind of knowledge. Right? It's wisdom. It's something that you don't find on the lips of a foolish man. It's about being morally sensitive. It's about godly behavior. It's about knowing how to speak and act in, in, in various situations. Remember our Old Testament reading this evening from Proverbs 5? starts with these words, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve. That's the word that's translated. Knowledge there, discernment in, in Philippians. Right? Remember how it goes on? It warns the young man against adultery. It tells him to flee from the temptation of sexual immorality. Because a kind of depth of insight, or a kind of discernment, right, that it's talking about here, is a kind that will stop you from doing what is wrong and heading along the path to misery and despair. It's wisdom to live in God's world God's way. And Paul prays that the Philippians' love would abound more and more in this kind of wisdom. That their love would be the kind of love that fears God and knows better and better how to express that in practical ways. You see, it's not just theoretical. Not just how one doctrine fits with this one, fits with that one. Fits. Okay, that's important. But it comes down to earth in how we live our lives. Affects our priorities, affects our moral behavior, affects how we relate to other people. It's not just theory. And we need to grow both in that knowledge of God and in that kind of wisdom that puts it into practice. So that our love for God and for our brothers and sisters is expressed in more and more godly and appropriate ways. Remember, we started with love. Okay, without love, we've got nothing. And then, we want that love to be abounding in that knowledge, okay? and we want that love to be abounding in this discernment. That is, uh, because you see, if we, if we don't have that discernment, we don't have that insight, then we don't know how to express that love properly, do we? Or we might, with the best loving intentions in the world, do the wrong thing. Because love needs to be guided by godly wisdom. So Paul prays that the Philippians' love would abound more and more in this discernment, in this depth of insight, this wisdom. And that's something we should pray too for ourselves and for each other. To pray that our love will be smart love. Love that is growing in wisdom. That is learning to act better and better in practical ways in the world that God has made. Okay? So the big thing here, what is he praying for? Praying for smarter and smarter love. In terms of knowing God better and better knowing how to live in the world that He has made. And as God answers that prayer, 
as our love gets smarter and smarter, we will be equipped, in the words of verse 10, to approve what is excellent. Okay, the word approve there uh, means to discern, or to test out, to examine, regard as proven. It's, it's to be able to work out what really matters. And to work out what really matters. See, the reason that Paul prays that their love would get smarter and smarter is so that they can have better and better priorities. And the great thing about having smarter and smarter love is that it leads to greater priorities. As, we, as our love for God is growing more and more stable, as we know Him better and better, as our love for others is expressed more and more appropriately, as we grow in love, then we will be able to work out more and more clearly what is really important in life under God. It doesn't mean we're all there yet. Okay, what's Paul's prayer? Paul's prayer is that they would be progressing, that there would be growth, that they would abound more and more in those things. Here's a video of someone uh, who is growing in smart love uh, and therefore has, uh, is having change in priorities. Uh, let's uh, have a listen to that uh, together. So Sam, for those of us who don't know you, can you just tell us a bit about who you are? Um, hi, I'm Sam. Um, I'm Shanti's husband. Um, I go to ACA. Uh, um, I work for a pharmaceutical company. I've been working for the company for the past 10 years and I'm in brand management now. Okay. And how long have you been a Christian? been a Christian uh, namesake, um, I think, all my life. I think I've been a Christian for the past four years. Okay. okay. Now, what would you say is the best thing about knowing Jesus? Knowing Jesus, I would say that um, knowing that um, you're loved, Okay. That um, that um, that he can that he died on the cross to take away my sin, okay. and that that I'm saved, yes. and that I'll be with him in new creation. Okay, cool. And um, how do you think you've been growing as a Christian? How been how have I been growing as a Christian? Um, I think um, growing as a Christian has been um, quite a journey because I thought attending church was sufficient being a Christian. Okay. Um, I realized it was not. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I got married to my wife and, and um, exploring things with Shanti um, has, been, has been a great thing about uh, because we could do that together okay. uh, to know Jesus, mm-hmm. to know what, what is God's purpose. And how, I've been, how have I been growing is I do, I meet up with the uh, uh, more mature Christians. Okay. Uh, we do one to one. We do like I'm. I'm doing just for starters now. Okay. Um, it's it's been really interesting. Yeah, I'm saying like just for starters. Yes. Okay, just for starters is uh, a seven week course okay. um, about um, a book that's by taking it through for it's for new Christians who can learn about um, the gospel okay. and uh, what's God's purpose for you okay. and. Um, it's a seven week course, but I think we've been doing it quite a while now huh, because we go in depth on more things and how to how to learn more things about about the gospel. Because you start on one topic, it is definitely not enough for um, for a session. So yeah. it just goes on. Okay. And um, the other things, um, I took up the PT, uh, PTC course, okay. the, um, the more course yeah. on um, uh, Bible overview. I finished mm-hmm. that, 
And this semester I'm picking up um, uh, New Testament yeah. and New Testament 1 and the book of Mark yeah. with, uh, with Shanti. So as we are doing it together, it's quite interesting in the sense that, that we could do it so we could do it together in the house and revise the uh, studies together as well. Okay, okay. Now you said that you've been a Christian uh, in name all your life. Yeah. But you said you've only really known Jesus in the last four years. Yeah. Now, um, how does knowing Jesus really uh, shape your priorities? Oh, okay. Um, I think for people who, who knew me, um, uh, when I started work in a pharmaceutical industry, um, I wanted to be a manager before I'm 30, and I, and I was. Okay. I was a very, very ambitious person and all that. Um, I'm seen as a very, very, I'm seen as a talent in the organization. Okay, sure. And um, I've been doing a lot more stuff um, uh, that people have taken a lot more, longer years to achieve. Mm -hmm. I've achieved it um, in a very short of, uh, shorter time. Mm -hmm. And um, I realized that achieving that at work, was not everything. Okay. It's something that I really wanted. Mm. Um, uh, the monetary reward was there and everything, um, uh, the recognition was there, but it was not all that I expected of okay. me. Yeah. And um, learning about purpose uh, that God has for us, mm. that um, I was recently about um, a month ago, we were, because just before Smack Go and we were just going through this, I realized, I, I, I learned that God asked us to be faithful at work and not to be the best. Okay. And that had a lot of impact on me in the sense that we're not called to be the best at work. We're called to be faithful mm -hmm. to the gospel, mm -hmm. and that changed my priority in life. Okay. Um, I'm putting I'm putting the gospel as as first, mm -hmm. and 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 how I and Shanti can go together okay. um, yes. in the gospel and what, what are the work that we can do in terms of ministry towards the gospel. Korea comes second. Okay. Okay. So, so that, that, that yeah. has shaped my priorities in life yeah. Um, yeah. after all this work. Yeah. So whatever contributes to the cost of the gospel Jesus. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Thank you very much, Beth. Yeah. All right. Um, um, <laughs> Shanti is a beautiful person. She has helped me a lot in everything I do. Yeah, Shanti, I said that. Thank you. Okay, so you see, that's just one example, isn't it, of how you see that working in, uh, in people's lives. Okay? As people have, the, have that love, uh, and then as you grow uh, in your knowledge, uh, understanding of who God is, what He's done, uh, and knowing God better and better, that shapes your priorities, it changes priorities. And if, for all of us, if our love is growing in knowledge and in, in depth of insight, or discernment, then our priorities will be changing as well. Right? For we will be able to determine what is best. Things like knowing Christ, being found in Him, promoting His gospel, growing in holiness, Loving those around us. And if we know what is really important, then we will also know what is not so important. Career, wealth, status, both inside and outside the church, popularity, and all those things. Now, some of those things might not be bad in themselves, but they're not our priorities, are they? Smarter love leads to priority shifts. And our priorities we transform 
as our love gets smarter and smarter, to reflect God's priorities. Our plans will be transformed to reflect God's plans. Our goals will be transformed to reflect God's goals. And as we put those gospel priorities into practice, as we realize for ourselves more and more that, yes, these are the things that are important, they'll become more and more part of who we are. A smart love leads to gospel priorities. And having gospel priorities is part of how God makes us ready for the day of judgment. Now back to Philippians 1. Uh, look at verse, the second half of verse 10. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. See, Paul wants the Philippians to be ready for the day of when Christ comes to judge the world. He wants to be pure and blameless on that day, ready to meet the Lord. Now, Paul, of course, he knows that being pure and blameless on the day of judgment is not something that the Philippians can achieve. Anyone else can, for that matter. It's a gift from God that comes by faith in Christ, isn't it? Because in and of ourselves, we are sinful. We are far from being pure and blameless. But on the cross, Jesus took our sins. He paid a price for them. He took our punishment for us. Experienced God's wrath for us. And gave us his righteousness. His goodness. His, his right standing with the Father. But this great exchange, our sin for his righteousness, only happens in the context of our spiritual union with him. That is, we gain His righteousness when we are united with Him by faith. And the only way we will be able to stand pure and blameless on the day of Christ is if we have trusted Him, have faith in Him, up to the day of Christ. And if we trust Jesus in the end, if we stick with Him, then we will be pure and blameless on the day of judgment through Him. Now Paul had prayed that the Philippians would have that love that was growing in knowledge of God, how to live in God's world. And this smart growing love would change their priorities to reflect God's plans and purposes. And as they grew in these ways, what would happen? Their faith would be strengthened. And as we grow in Christ, both in knowledge and behavior, we will be deepening in our faith and not falling away. As we make gospel priorities our priorities, we will labor and strive to serve the Lord Jesus and as God grows His love in us more and more, knowing Him, living His way, growing in maturity in Christ, then we'll be growing in Christ, but we won't be wandering away from Him. And if we are growing in Christ, and we keep on growing in Christ, then we will not be falling away. And we will stand pure and blameless on the day of Christ. And then we will look back and realize that it was God who kept us all along through prayer such as this. And so smart love will make us ready for the day of judgment by keeping us faithful. And in verse 11, Paul describes those who are pure and blameless on the day of Christ as people like this. People who are filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. The Philippians, they had righteousness through Christ. That is, they've been made right with God through his death on their behalf. That's why they'll be pure and blameless on the day of judgment. But this righteousness would also have produced fruit. 
Because if it's real, it'll be expressed. Like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, isn't it? Righteousness is how the fruit of righteousness is how righteousness is expressed in our characters. It's about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, humility, and self-control. And so Paul prays for smarter and smarter love for the Philippians, so they'll know what is best, so that on the day of judgment, not only would they be pure and blameless before the Lord Jesus, but they would have produced all the fruit that comes with it. Characters that reflect the purity and the blamelessness that is theirs in him. And wouldn't that be a good thing for us to pray for each other as well? And wouldn't it be good if we could be more and more like that? As individuals and as a church together. And that when we stand before Christ on the judgment day, saved by grace through faith in Him, we want Him to be able to see the fruit, the character results of what He's done in our lives and in our churches. the final and ultimate reason why Paul prays for this smart love, in fact for this whole prayer is at the end of verse 11 it is to the glory and praise of God it's not just verse 11, to the glory and praise of God it's not just that last little bit of verse 11 it's the whole thing everything is for God's glory and praise in the end you see as much as Paul loves the Philippians, in the end, Paul knows that it's not about them. The goal of this is higher even than the good of the Philippians. Paul prays the love of the Philippians will grow in knowledge and insight, so they will know what is best, so that on the day of Christ they will stand pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Why? So that God will be glorified in and through them. And that shouldn't surprise us, should it? Because, brothers and sisters, the glory of God ought to be the final reason for everything that we do. That is the ultimate goal of every prayer that we pray. That is really what life is all about. That's what Paul was there for. That's what the Philippians were there for. That is what we are here for. In the end, that is our meaning, our purpose, our goal. To bring glory to God. It's the only worthwhile thing in the final analysis. And that reminds us, or I hope it reminds us, of our SPAC ACA mission statement, doesn't it? What does it start with? To glorify God together in response to his grace by making disciples of Jesus Christ and tonight we've been reminded that making disciples is not just by speaking to each other as crucial as it is but also by praying for each other we need to pray because it is only God who can give us this smarter and smarter love it is only God who can persevere us and keep us to the end and present us pure and blameless before Him. It is only God's Spirit who can produce in us the fruit of righteousness. And it is the God who began a good work in us who will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And because we rely on Him to do that, we pray for ourselves and we pray for each other as well. 
And so, friends, this is a good prayer to pray. It's a good prayer to pray for, not only for ourselves, but for our friends, cell group members, our parents, our children, our gospel partners, our congregations. If you're leading the prayers in church, pray for this, huh? If you're praying at SMAC team, pray for this. If you're praying at home, pray with these priorities in mind. These are the important things. I want to ask you to do something after church today. I want to ask you to just look. Don't forget this, will you? Look and find one person in the congregation and ask them, how can I pray for you? What can I pray for you? And pray for them. I just do it after church. Don't make a big fuss. Prefer you pray for them right away. Just sit down there, two of you, pray for them, pray for each other. But if you feel shy, you don't want to do that, that's fine. You go home and pray for them. No one's going to check up on you and say, oh, you know, Brian didn't pray for anyone, yeah? Maybe I'll check on Brian, alright? But no, okay. <laughs> but give it a go. Because I want us as a congregation to be the kind of congregation that we're building relationships with each other, that, that praying for each other is just a natural thing to do. If you start today, then just make it a habit of doing it each week when you come to church. And how will you pray for them? How do you pray for partners? By all means, pray for their health, pray for their happiness, pray for their studies, pray for their job, pray for whatever they ask you to pray about. But above all, pray for their spiritual growth. Pray that their love would abound more and more in knowledge and discernment. That as they love God and listen to His Word, they would know Him better and better and better and better understand how to live in His world. So they live with the priorities of the Gospel, shaping their lives in a deeper and deeper way. So they keep on trusting in Jesus to the very end and are found pure and blameless in Him, having produced the character qualities that God wants to see to the glory of His holy name. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have brought us together as Your people. as sharers, as partners, partakers in the gospel together. We want to pray for each other now that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. filled with the fruit of righteousness 
that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of your name.